decisions every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB program underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, October 31st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll begin our election preview by hearing from two of the four candidates in a special election for U.S. Senate. Find out more about the issues that matter to them. Then, a Delta hospital facing bankruptcy appears to be set for local takeover. Learn more. Plus, on this trick-or-treat day, some tips on keeping your kids from binging on the candy they collect. And as Breast Cancer Awareness Month comes to a close, more on how women can take their health matters into their own hands. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Tuesday, Mississippians will take the next step in deciding who will permanently replace retired U.S. Senator Thad Cochran. The 80-year-old Republican served in the Senate from 1978 until April of this year. This week on Mississippi Edition, we are setting aside some time to hear from all four of the candidates vying for his seat in a special election. Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith was appointed by Governor Phil Bryant to fill the seat temporarily. We'll hear from her tomorrow, along with former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Espy, a Democrat. Today, we start with State Senator Chris McDaniel. The Jones County Republican leans to the right, even of many of his GOP colleagues, often making claims of corruption against what he calls the establishment of his party. He wants this Senate seat badly, too. McDaniel narrowly lost a Republican primary contest to Thad Cochran in 2014. Today, he tells MPB's Ashley Norwood what it's like on the McDaniel campaign trail. We have uh, good-sized crowds that are very engaged. In other words, these are enthusiastic people. They, uh, they ask tough questions and they expect uh, tough answers to be given. And, and I, uh, I love these types of events because I believe in my heart of hearts that politicians owe it to the people to stand before them and answer their questions. And I can't stand the idea of running from a debate or running from the people. Some of these crowds uh, uh, that we speak to are very positive. Others uh, can be combative. What matters, though, is that they have a voice. I'm their employee, and if I can't stand in front of any crowd and defend my positions, uh, I shouldn't be their employee. So I uh, I enjoy this very much. So um, I just want to ask you about this since we're talking about the campaign. How did, if at all, um, President Donald Trump's recent endorsement of Cindy Hyde-Smith, did that affect your campaign in any way? No, I don't think so. I think that it was kind of expected in some regards because he had already endorsed Mitt Romney, and Mitt Romney could not stand Donald Trump. He had also endorsed John McCain, and John McCain couldn't stand Donald Trump. He had endorsed Paul Ryan. So he has a history of endorsing some of these candidates, and it begs the question precisely why would he? And our position is, and based on what we're hearing, Mitch McConnell is attempting to um, uh, take that 51 votes that Trump has in the Senate and use them. And Trump needs badly those 51 votes to stick together to get his agenda items passed. And so this is a deal that Trump felt like he had to cut with McConnell. And that's why he traditionally endorses incumbents. And that makes sense. But I can tell you this, um, he's going to be very pleased uh, when I win this and work with him. I I really believe that. You've made some public comments lately um, that have been, some have agreed, disagreed with. And the first one I want, I want you to touch on 
the interview in, on the Tupelo-based uh, radio show, American Family Radio, right. uh, you suggested that only 1% of all sexual assault allegations are true. So talk about that. I know that was in response to a question right. about um, the allegations made against right. now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. So what did you mean when you, when you stated that? Right. And it's, a, it's a matter of context, a matter of context. You know, if you'll look at the context of the conversation, I was specifically speaking to 30-plus-year-old allegations that seemed to be politically driven. And it was a figure of expression. 99% of these are false. I was talking about a politically driven motivation from 36 years ago as a figure of speech, not specifically as to sexual assault claims. I would never have done that. That was not the intent. And um, the, um, the interviewer, Brian Fisher, he took it in context, though it was supposed to be me. I didn't think twice about it. It was only after the interview when folks tried to remove it out of context is when it became a problem. But I would just challenge people to go back, look at the entire interview, and look at the, 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 uh, the clause or the sentence in context with the conversation, and you'll see precisely what I meant. State Senator Chris McDaniel. Gaucher, Mississippi's Toby Barty, is the least known candidate in Tuesday's special election for U.S. Senate. He has never held political office, though he has worked for the government both in the military and as a civilian, as he explains to our Ashley Norwood. I grew up on the Gulf Coast, Gaucher, uh, Mississippi, attended Pasquale High School, Uh, left home to go to the Naval Academy, Uh, got my commission four years later, served as an intelligence officer, Last day of active slash reserve service was this year. Uh, rotated over to the civilian side, worked at the Department of Homeland Security, and then also the Department of uh, State. Uh, intel for the former, and then uh, resource management for the, uh, the latter. Once I finished that, I went back to grad school, uh, focused on education policy at Vanderbilt, uh, and looked specifically at education issues uh, related to Mississippi. So why run for a U.S. Senate seat? Part of my responsibility in some of those other agencies uh, over the course of my career was looking at the long term, mm-hmm. either the health of the organization and its ability to address a specific situation or looking at a specific issue that we were working functionally mm-hmm. uh, as an interagency within the U.S. government. And when you look at the data specifically for Mississippi, there are some things that give me pause for concern. Uh, specifically, we're not as a state positioned to compete in the next few years, so 2020, 2025, 2030. And the decisions that need to be uh, taken today, uh, we're not having the conversations that would shape those. Part of the campaign uh, focus is to actually shape those conversations, and part of my service as a center is to help sustain those things. I've seen that uh, part of your campaign, One Mississippi. Yes. Um, So if you can, uh, just remind me, what are the top three focuses of your campaign? Why are those your top three focuses? Domestically, and, and there is an international piece um, that gives me pause to concern, but we can get into that uh, a little bit later. Uh, but domestically, looking at uh, education, infrastructure, health care, and specifically for Mississippi also, just because our rate is so high, the highest in the nation, poverty. Uh, but those, at the end of the day, get us to addressing the concerns of jobs. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think that's what's most pressing on people because that impacts the brain drain that we see and that impacts our ability to recruit businesses down to the state. Those are the four areas. What is your political experience? So no political experience prior to this. The bulk of my career, the, the entirety of my career has been focused on government service, either in uniform or outside uniform. Mm-hmm. Does it concern you at all, that or your age and any of those things concern you? So I'll, I'll take both of those care- questions separately. The first one in terms of age, uh, two decades of experience within the government. Um, so I'm not young, young. Uh, in terms of 
experience and exposure to a range of topics. Uh, I think that I'm, I've actually had enough experience to see from the three different agencies that I've worked in or departments. Uh, it's about government is about two things. One, taking a pro look at a problem, truly understanding what that problem is. And then the second thing is allocating the scarce resources that we've combined as a society to address those problems. Uh, so one is about getting to the truth, and the other one is about just the business of government. How do you go about addressing those? Toby Barty is a candidate for U.S. Senate in a special election on Tuesday. He faces State Senator Chris McDaniel, whom we heard from a moment ago. Also on the ballot will be former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Mike Espy, a Democrat, and Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, a Republican appointed by Governor Bryant to temporarily fill the seat of Thad Cochran, who retired in April. We'll hear from Hyde-Smith and Espy tomorrow on Mississippi Edition. And on Friday, catch a pre-election special edition of MPB's At Issue. That's Friday night on MPB TV. In other news, three hospitals in Mississippi are in danger of closing because of bankruptcy. But officials in Cahoma County are doing everything they can to make sure their Mississippi Delta Hospital keeps its doors open. MPB's Alexandra Watts reports. Cure Health, the company that runs Northwest Regional Medical Center in Clarksdale, is bankrupt. Paul Pearson, with the Cahoma County Board of Supervisors, says the board voted to keep the hospital open and have the county take over. He says the hospital is important for residents' health and for the state of the community. A hospital helps make your community as something else to offer. If you're going to market your community for industry, I'm sure that's something that any industry or any company that would want to come to an area will look and make sure that you have adequate schools, adequate law enforcement, and adequate hospitals, and some type of quality of life. And a hospital is very much a piece of that puzzle. Mark Dugo is an assistant professor with Mississippi Valley State University. He says having a hospital close by is important for emergency and preventative care. Ready access to health care facilities and early screening and uh, routine visits will go a long way to reducing the negative outcomes that are so prevalent in the Delta. Pearson says the county will start operating the hospital in November. Alexandra Watts, MPB News. Coming up, as Breast Cancer Awareness Month comes to a close, more on how women can take their health matters into their own hands. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Next week, voters around the country will be casting their ballots on a myriad of policy questions, everything from gerrymandering to nursing staff levels to casino gambling. But are voters really qualified to be directly deciding these kinds of things? Direct versus representative democracy. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. MPB would like to thank Daniel, Coker, Horton, and Bell and the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance for underwriting MPB programs. Your company can be an underwriter, too. Find out more. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Nationwide, the probability of developing breast cancer in a lifetime is one in every eight women. That's according to Dr. Sean McKinney at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Figures from the State Department of Health show that in Mississippi, about 410 women die each year from breast cancer. Researchers at UMMC are studying medications to attack specific cancers and to increase the survival rates of women diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. Dr. McKinney tells us ways women can be proactive about their own breast health. Women can be proactive by performing self-breast exams, and this can be performed at any age. I usually recommend that it's done monthly and preferably the week after if you're having cycles, after your cycle is complete. And that is usually due to the hormonal effect that occurs during a woman's cycle and the breast can go through several changes during those hormonal changes. So um, usually the week after your cycle is best. And if you're not having cycles, then you just pick a time of the month that you'll remember, either beginning, middle, or end of the month, and perform a breast exam. When you perform a breast exam, are you looking for anything besides lumps? So you're looking for skin changes. So you want to stand in front of a mirror and look uh, for any difference in size of the breast. You want to look for any skin changes. You want to look for any nipple changes. Sometimes a mask can make the nipple um, kind of uh, turn or, or point in a different direction. So um, all of those things you want to look for visually in addition to actually performing the exam with your hand. What would you recommend for prevention? Well, prevention can depend on the woman and the woman's individual risk. So that's a very individualized question. There are many things that we should do in order to decrease our risk. And some of these things are what I call modifiable, meaning we can do something in order to decrease our risk. And some of these things we can't modify. Um, Some of the things that we can't modify are, you know, what family we're born into and what the other cancers or other people in the family have come up with um, that also contribute to our risk. We also can't control when we start our cycles and most times when we stop our cycles or um, a lot of times the specific age at which we have a child. So some of those things we can't control, but some of the things we can control uh, that contribute to our risk are our weight um, and uh, obesity has a link to breast cancer risk as well. So maintaining a good weight and kind of watching whether you're on combination um, hormone replacement medicine um, and on that for a long a prolonged amount of time can also increase someone's risk. Are there more diagnosed cases of breast cancer than there were 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Well, overall, yes, uh, just because of how the screening um, and technology has progressed during that time. So we're certainly picking up more cancers because we have better technology in order to pick up those cancers. 
So in in a good sense, we're picking up smaller cancers because we have um, really good advanced um, mammographic screening. And uh, in some cases, some women are becoming more aware of their own breast health and going in when they notice the problem. So in that respect, we are diagnosing more cancers. We would like to diagnose them earlier as opposed to later, but unfortunately, especially here in Mississippi, we do see a lot of advanced cancers. Are survival rates improving? Overall survival rates are improving because of uh, better chemotherapy in some instances and um, and some of the other uh, big advances in medications that we have. But if you look at the African-American community, uh, our survival rates are still lower than Caucasian women. And a lot of that has to do really with the biology of the tumor. So it's not just always how big something is, it's how aggressive that particular tumor is. And unfortunately, in African-American women, our tumors tend to be more aggressive, leading to lower survival rates. And when we present with larger tumors that have either spread already, our survival rates certainly drop. Is there research that would show why that happens, why African-American women are more susceptible to that? Well, there's some ongoing research, um, uh, genetically-based research that has not been totally conclusive yet, but there are some benchmark uh, research analysis going on now, even looking back at um, ancestry from Africa and whether um, that can lend a clue as to why African-American women uh, have an innately uh, aggressive form of breast cancer in a lot of cases. Dr. Sean McKinney is a surgeon specializing in breast surgery at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. McKinney, thank you very much. You're welcome. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Coming up on this trick-or-treat day, some tips on keeping your kids from binging on all the candy they'll collect. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today is Halloween, so join us on Everyday Tech as we discuss Tech Horror Stories. Does your printer go bump in the night, or did your computer have a meltdown? Do you hear scary voices coming from your cell phone? Oh, wait. That's just your mother-in-law. Plus, we're taking your personal tech questions. So get ready to share your tech horror stories today at 10 a.m. on Everyday Tech, only on MPB Think Radio. (laughs) This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. New data shows Mississippi children are holding steady in the weight department. The child obesity rate is not increasing, according to new data from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, but it's not decreasing either. In our continuing coverage on state of obesity, we ask how should responsible Mississippi parents handle the influx of Halloween candy this week? Josie Bidwell is Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She tells us what she recommends for those handing out treatments to kids and to get them more active. What I usually do is kind of pre-portion. I get the little Ziploc baggies or the little treat bags, and I'll go ahead and put, you know, 
two pieces and then I usually throw in something like a pencil or something else in there so that it, you know, it's got some more stuff in it, stickers or something like that, um, and go ahead and tie that up and put that in my bucket. Because if you just kind of hand the bucket to a kid, I mean, they're a kid. They're going to get two fistfuls of candy and run away. So you this know? is pre-portioned. You <laughs> this know is exactly pre-portioned. So, you know, I know exactly how much they're getting and they're getting some, you know, some things that they can play with and not just... Okay, now you're the parent and your child just came home with a huge bag of candy. Which is last night. We just got home from our fall festival. So they both came home with huge bags. Uh, And that, I mean, that's part of it. But uh, first is the sorting. You know, they have to dump it all out and sort it into different piles. We've got a chocolate pile and a, you know, a fruit flavored pile and all of these different (laughs) things. And then they broker trades between each other. You know, I would like that. What out of my pile would you like? And, you know, we just have to set a limit. You know, we're not going to eat all of this tonight. We're not even going to eat all. We're not going to eat all of it in general. I mean, if a child ever needed guidance, this is the day. Yeah, the, right, right. They, the they need some structure right now. Um, we also put a pile of things that we don't love. You know, if there's a candy that just doesn't make your heart sing, then there's no reason to eat it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... If you're going to indulge in candy, then it should be something that you really, really enjoy, not just I eat it because it sits here. So the pile of things that they got last night that are not their favorites are going in our bucket to give out on Halloween because it might be somebody else's favorite. It's just not ours. And then, you know, it's two pieces is what we do, you know, um, after our meal. Is there a way a parent can take candy away Without traumatizing, <laughs> well, I wouldn't do it like like Jimmy Kimmel. Like I ate all your candy and, and filmed them. Uh, you know, it just it really is just about setting limits and and not putting candy into that. It's a bad category because that sets us up for guilt when we ultimately do eat that candy. So I try very much not to paint it as a um, this is a, a bad thing for us to eat. This is just something that we should eat less of to be healthier overall. So you're saying about two pieces a yeah, day? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what we try to do. Now, I mean, there are days where we may get three pieces, and that's okay. Um, but it's always after the meal. Um, and so I try and serve a nutritious meal, especially that's a tip before you go out trick-or-treating. Like, fill their bellies up with something nutritious, you know, a big bowl of soup or a nice sandwich with some whole grain bread. You know, and you can cut them into fun shapes like pumpkins and bats and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. But fill their belly up with something that's got some nutrition in it. That way, when they've got their bucket of candy, you know, you're not the bad mom that's like, no, you can't have that until we eat dinner. You know, you've kind of already had some nutrition and now you can have, you know, have your piece of candy. Is there any candy that's better than another? (laughs) Um, Worse than another? None of them are going to qualify as health food. Um, So, you know, I wouldn't say that there's one that's better than another. You know, I'm sure there's probably somebody out there who says, oh, absolutely, this one is the super most healthiest candy there is. Um, But, you know, I just try and think of, you know, is there... You know, are there peanuts or something in it that I could maybe qualify as a, a healthy fat or a healthy protein? But at the end of the day, candy is not where you should be looking for your nutrition. So I just put it in the category of it's a treat. But there are also other, you know, more and more snacks show up for yeah. trick or treat. And there are crack, you see goldfish crackers mm-hmm. or pretzels. Mm-hmm. 
So that might be a little bit healthier. Yeah. I actually was setting up for um, a Halloween event this morning um, for healthier choices. And so the, the items that I had out were kind of air popped popcorn, like skinny pop popcorn in the little bags. Um, those are a really good option. Also, um, little fruit cups. So I had peaches this morning, peaches that were in juice. And on the top of it, I drew a jack-o'-lantern face with a Sharpie. So, you know, it was an orange-colored fruit with a jack-o'-lantern face on it. Um, And then the little mandarin oranges as well, the little clementine oranges, um, I drew little um, jack-o'-lantern faces on the front of those. So those are all ways to kind of balance out your buffet table um, or your snack table with a little bit healthier choice. Dr. Josie Bidwell is an assistant professor at UMMC School of Nursing, and she is the host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. So far out.